Yeah. Okay. Next week is yeah. Michaela. It's Purim. Exactly. We are not. Yes. I will. I will talk about that at the end. Amazing. Okay. Okay. Welcome to class. Thanks to Barbara. We're going to remember to spend a second just grounding ourselves in our space. We're not going to do it for a long time just to like be present so we can um, absorb as much as we can. And at the same time, be conscious and aware that we are now serving God, right? And that is a lot of things happen when we do that, right? We know, we know. Okay, so take a deep breath. You feel comfortable, you can close your eyes. And for the start of class, I really just want you to be aware of where you're at right now. So tune into your body. It's been a long day, I'm sure, for all of you. Busy, hectic, everyone's doing their job, right? And so what does it feel like in your body now? It's just to sit, take a deep breath, relax in your space. You could, yeah, you can move your, your neck, shrug your shoulders, roll your shoulders back, stretch, reach your arms up, you know, just really get comfortable in your space and just observe, yeah, where you're at emotionally and where you're at physically. And we can compare to how we feel at the end of class. I'll just give you a second quietly in the space. Take a deep breath in. A nice big exhale. Let your body relax into your exhale. And can open your eyes and let's go. Here we are, here we go. Okay, so last class, we ended off talking about what tshuva is and what it's not, right? And what did we say? That tshuva is the decision to stop sinning. The end, right? All the other things we know about Shuva that we attribute to Shuva to is actually not the essence of Shuva. Yes, it helps the process. And we're going to talk about that today. Where does it fall in if it's not Shuva? But it's not the essence of Shuva. The essence of, of Shuva is forward thinking, right? It's not dwelling on the past. It's not pity party, poor me. It's not, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be a good person, right? It is merely the decision to stop what you're doing and look towards the future. Okay. So how we ended class off last week was, okay. So the decision to stop sinning has meaning. Okay. So it, it is a decision to stop sinning, but there's more that goes to it that the Tanya attributes in the umbrella of stopping to sin. Okay, and that's where we left off last class. So what does it mean? It means that the, per the person who's sinning resolves 
with a full heart not to return to foolishness. Okay, so he is stopping the sin and part of the process of stopping to sin, what falls under that umbrella is resolving not to do it in the future. Okay, and and the Tanya is going to break it down for us in three elements. The decision to stop sinning contains three separate elements in it. Okay, and we're going to we're going to break it down very simply. Number one, not to perform this particular sin again, okay? First part. Second part, to fix the underlying cause of the sinful activity, right? And how do you do that? By accepting God's authority, okay? How did you sin to begin with? You were a little rebellious or you decided it something else trumped God's authority, right? We're not talking about sinning by mistake, okay? We're talking about when we sin, when we know better, right? And so the underlying cause of the sin is not really buying into God's authority. So the second part of this process is... Reaccepting God's authority, right? And we're accepting that we're not going to rebel against it anymore. Okay, does that make sense? And thirdly, is it's it's a little bit a continuation of the second, but by fixing the rebellion that occurred when you were sinning, he also now has to accept. Hashem's authority regarding all the other mitzvahs in the future. So the second, the second part was about that one particular sin. And the third part is, well, actually, part of this process is when you accept Hashem's authority, you're accepting it for all mitzvahs, okay? That he's not going to transgress Hashem's command at all with, with anything, okay? And, and yeah, I'll, I'll get to you in a second. And, and so that kind of um sums up this the the mitzvah of tshuva that fall that all falls under the umbrella of stopping to sin all these three things fall under the umbrella of stopping to sin yes robin i first and then you carry okay so i've got two points one um can you reconcile for me the third point by fixing the rebellion that occurred you get to resolve to keep all the mitzvahs can you reconcile that with for me with baby steps? So I'm aware of a whole bunch of things I don't do. Mm-hmm. If I'm I'm concerned and I'm moving through at a, I think a healthy pace of adding more things, um, mm-hmm. and I'm pleased with the progress and continually progressing. But I'm aware of some I'm not doing, and I'm afraid if I took on everything that I'm not doing right now, that bad things would come of it. Okay, that's an excellent excellent question. Now. I am not sure I have the perfect answer, but for me, what, how I interpret and I can delve into this question in a more thorough way after class, but from what I understand is in the moment of teshuva, when you are returning to God, in that moment, it's impossible for you to imagine sinning. Okay. 
Okay. So in that moment, you're accepting God completely. And you're so connected that maybe it's, it's hard to imagine ever doing any type of sin because of the connection that you're repairing. Now, does that translate practically? It never usually does, right? Because we're human and we never actually never sin again, right? Unless we're a tzaddik, right? So, so, and we're not tzaddikim, we know that, right? And the Tanya knows that. So it's in the moment. And I think we can understand this even practically. Like, did you ever, okay, this is how, this happens to me all the time because I'm a stomachache girl, right? So, you know, when you have a really, really, really bad stomachache, you're like, I'm never going to eat again, ever, I'm never going to put a piece of food in my mouth. Right. And you seriously are like, like you mean it, like you mean can't it. imagine putting a piece of food in your mouth. Right. So I kind of view it like in similar fashion, like you're, you're so connected to God. You are so um, in line and you're, you are accepting him so completely that it's hard to imagine that you're ever going to sin in any capacity. And I think that's the authenticity that Hashem is looking for now. And, and also every moment is in a moment to itself. And we're going to address that later. So as long as in the moment you are authentically like connected and in that moment, you're like, I'm never going to sin. Right. Um, I believe that that's what the time is referring to. Okay. Is that Your how intention, the intention. Yeah. The intention. And like, and you're not being phony. You're not like, it's not a joke. Like it's, it's for real in that moment. Right. Like we all have moments and never, you know, if the food one's hard to relate to, like we all have moments where we're like, I'm never doing that again. Right. Like that was awful. I'm never going to do that again. And very rarely is that actually practical. Right. Cause a lot of time, you know, some things it, it sticks and hopefully with, with the chuva, it sticks too for maybe for that particular sin, it will stick. Right. So we're, we're hoping for it to stick and we're authentic in our feeling about it, but I don't think it means like all of a sudden you are turning into a tonic, which that would, which is what that would mean practically, right? If, if it was, a, if it was like the letter of the law, it would actually mean you're a tonic, right? And we're not that. We can have tzaddik right. moments. We can have tzaddik feelings. We can want to be like a tzaddik, but practically we're going to mess up again. Um, so just focusing on all the mitzvot that I've committed to, all the mitzvot that I've taken on, I don't ever want to sin any of those again. Right. And, all, and, and even more so, like you're so connected to Hashem right now. I'm not going to do anything to ruin it. Who, right. who, what, are, what person in their right mind decides to do that, right? And it says when we sin, it's a spirit of folly that enters our brain. It doesn't make any sense, right? So in that moment, when we're repenting or when we're returning, it's like, I'm not going to jeopardize this again. Right. Right? Right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Carrie, did you have a question or was it answered? You answered my question by mentioning the tzaddik because I was going to say, I was going to ask you, well, wouldn't that make us a tzaddik if we exactly. were to not sin ever again? Yes, that would make us a tzaddik. And uh, unless you're one of the, the hidden tzaddikim, I don't think any of us fall into that category, right? Like, so, so that, so it's about being very present in that moment and not able to to imagine breaking our bond with Hashem because of 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 the connection and the process we're in in the moment very good question ask one more question on this point um 
I was surprised in your three points that one of them wasn't distancing yourself from whatever prompts the sin. You know, if you know that X, Y, or Z uh, is the precursor to the bad choice, then avoiding that until you've developed the habit of, of being solid and not falling um, into the foolishness. So, I mean, again, I don't have an official answer to that, but my thought is it is included in the first thing, like not to perform a particular sin again. Hashem is counting on you to be smart enough, right? To not put your, that's, to not sin again means don't put yourself in that position. Okay. I just thought distancing yourself from the sin was somehow a key piece in all this, but I guess I'm just. I, I think it is a okay. key piece in all of it. But again, support on a supportive realm, not the yeah. essence of the mitzvah. The essence okay. of the mitzvah is the things we talked about. Supporting that process, there's a lot, a lot of things that we're going to talk about that support the tshuva process, but it's not the essence of the of the mitzvah. Thank you. Okay, which is these three things are the essence of of the mitzvah. Okay, so um, so basically, what the Tanya is saying is that when we uh, violate, right, uh, transgression or we, we sin, that inevitably what you're doing, maybe it's not on purpose consciously, but what's, what happens when we choose to sin, it's a rejection of God's authority in general, right? It's like in this moment, God, like I found something that's more important to me or I decided that it's too hard, or I decided that I can't do it. And I decided that your word is not what's going to make it or break it for me. So that's a kind of a rejection of of God's authority. And that's why um, when that's why the essence of the mitzvah is in the return and the reaccepting of Hashem's authority. Okay, so um, while so that's where the Tanya adds these little details. So while the while the Torah might say that the the essence of the mitzvah is just the decision to stop sinning, the Alter Rebbe is including the like reclaiming the authority of Hashem in the essence of the mitzvah because they go hand in hand. You wouldn't be able to sin. If in that moment you were totally subservient to God, right? So the fact that you were able to sin means there's a break in that connection. And part of the essence of the mitzvah is to repair that break and reaccept Hashem's authority. Make sense? Okay. So um, now we know what the that the, why the principle, why we use teshuva as the word, because teshuva means return, right? It does not mean repent. Teshuva means return, right? And the essence of the mitzvah is to return to God with all your heart and with all your soul, okay? To worship him and observe all his commandments. So. Um, you know, we always, I mean, if you, if you, you've been exposed, especially to Hasidists, we always talk about the word tshuva meaning return, right? 
But I think we, I mean, at least I've never, before learning Igaras Hachuva, I never really like assimilated that information to mean what shuva really, the essence of that mitzvah really is. Because I think we get distracted by the regret and the, you know, the, all the other things that surround the, mitz, the mitzvah that are not the essence of the mitzvah that we, that I never really understood and embrace the fact that tshuva means returning to God with all my heart and all my soul. That's the essence of the mitzvah. Now there's more that goes into it and there's more that goes into achieving atonement, right? But your mitzvah of tshuva is in the return. Okay. And, um, tshuva does not require remorse of the past. It is a support. It's a support for the mitzvah and it's, and it's a support for atonement, but tshuva does not require remorse, but it does require reorientation to regard in regards to the future. Okay. That's the essence of tshuva reorienting ourselves a lot, realigning ourselves back with God. That's the essence of tshuva. Yes, Carrie. Carrie. I'm confused between uh, tshuva and return. It's the same thing. Or, or repentance and return. Repentance. We use the word repent because what does repent mean? To feel bad about our past, okay. right? So that's, we like, you know, it somehow got this rap of like remorse, repentance, you know, you know, kind of dwelling on our past sin, but really teshuva is not that. Teshuva is return. It's about reorienting ourselves to the future. It's about reaccepting God and his authority. And teshuva actually means in the Hebrew, the root word of teshuva is shuv, which is return. The action. Yeah. The action. Sure. Returning. Future related. Like, Right? Not remorse over the past, but action into the future. Thank you. Okay. Okay. So, um, so also, okay, just making sure I, I covered everything. So yeah, return. So return is the little literal translation of chuva in itself. And it is the principal act of chuva is, is in the return is in the um, a reaccepting of Hashem. Now, um, I want to, to spend a second just focusing on this idea of the power of repentance and how it could happen in an instant, okay? And we're going to pull from something that we discussed previously when we went through the Tanya, the first book of Tanya, Okay, and I just, I love how it, it ties in to now and actually is discussed further in the other book of the Tanya, which is Shari Yechad which dis discusses in great length the oneness of Hashem. So maybe, maybe we'll get to that one day. If, you know, we're not even done section one and chapter one of Igeras Hachuba. So I think we have a long way to go. But um, what it says here is, um, How do you deem like 
split your life into two, right? Like what happened in the past and what you're committing to in the future, right? Um, and it, it it's it's really fascinating because like we it isn't like we are we are people made up of our experiences. So it's not like the past never happened or we don't draw on the past, but in relation to Chuba, this concept works because if you remember when we discussed the the oneness of God, which Robin we're doing in our in our class right now on Sunday, we're literally talking about this, how Hashem recreates the world every second, right? And in order for you to exist, you are constantly being recreated. So every second is, is like a new world, right? So if you take that idea and that concept, right, it's you, there is a concept of like in this present moment, kind of like addressing your question from before, like in that present moment, you have a clean slate because you're like, you're being recreated every second. So if one, when you're deciding to do teshuva, your past is, isn't really so relevant because you're a new person every second of every day. So obviously it's, it's a snippet of time and it's in this particular scenario that we're talking about it doesn't mean we ignore our past and our future and our right like we are humans and that is important but the present moment um i'm going to quote to you from what from what what um rabbi steinzalt says in his little footnote here is the tanya discusses a perpetual renewal of creation where each instant the present moment separates past and future as the entire universe along with every life form within it undergoes total regeneration right so if you apply that to this concept of fresh start chuva returning and your and and your past not having to worry and have such remorse over your past and, and not have to worry about like, like you said, am I ever gonna sit in the future? In this moment, it's, it's a new you, right? Doesn't matter what happened in the past and it doesn't really matter what's gonna happen in the future. In this moment, this is who you are. Does that make sense? Yeah? Sort of, maybe, kind of. Um, okay, it's, 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 it's a footnote. So it's just, I thought that was interesting how you know, all the different parts of Tanya can really connect and nothing happens in a vacuum that, you know, we are, where there is this idea that we're being recreated every second and gives us a fresh start, right? Yeah, you had a question? Who, who, like at the bottom, would you, uh, Ra Rachel? Yeah, did you have Hi. a question? Yeah. Yeah, um, so I'm, I'm sorry if I'm, is it okay to like say things? Cool. Yeah, 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 yes, this is what we do so, here. We say things. <laughs> fantastic. Love it. Amazing. Um, so I'm, I'm reading this book by um, Rebitson, Holly Pavlov, and it's very interesting because she's raising the issue, what you just said about being in the here and now with yeah. Ishmael, when yeah. Ishmael is left in the desert and um, Hagar leaves him, um, it, the whole reason that Ishmael is saved is because Hashem told the angels, right now, Ishmael is calling, crying out his heart and is here and even though he may do bad things in the future it's based on the right now and yes. he did teshuva at that moment and therefore he was saved i love that connection. that was interesting yeah thank you for bringing that up and i and i think it just brings home the point how 
forgiving God is and how he wants us to succeed, right? Because he's like, oh, I could see in the future, like you're, you're, you're not, this isn't going to last, you know, but like in that moment, he's giving us the benefit of the doubt and he's totally rooting for us. He's like right here, right now, you are connected to me and you are accepting me as your, as your king. And you don't want to be separate from me. And I'm going to accept that in this moment as the truth, because it is our truth in that moment. So Hashem, who's all knowing, you could think that maybe, you know, like compared to us humans, like when someone apologizes to you for the 10th time for the same thing, what is our attitude? Sorry doesn't mean anything right? Like you're sorry, doesn't mean anything. You, what, what's, what's the proof? How are you, how are you going to show me that you're not going to do this again? Right. Um, and that's a human behavior, but Hashem really, really, really just accepts us for who we are and accepts our, 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 our present moment done authentically as the real deal. It doesn't matter to him what happened in the past. And it doesn't matter what happened in the future. Like I wish as a mom, I can embody that more. Because like, I do have a situation with one of my daughters who keeps doing the same thing over and over again. And I'm like, frustrated, right? And I'm like, why should I believe you? Maybe I should believe her because I should take her word for it in that moment. But it's hard because I I know that this, you know, like this, you have not proven yourself, right? You have not shown me that you're going to actually do this thing. But God, he, he, he does it. He accepts it, right? Like, um, so maybe you have to like, you know, be, be embody that a little bit more. I'm not God, I've, you know, obviously, so I'm never going to be, I'm going to be human, but it's a good lesson for us to really, sometimes if someone is, is in the moment, you know, authentically, you know, sh- showing that they, they want to do it better next time. Maybe if we showed a little bit more, you know, if we believed in them and we showed them that we believed in them, maybe that would be the catalyst for them to actually be able to stick to it. Who knows? I don't know. It's a, it's amusing. (laughs) Um, but, but I do, I I mean, I do struggle with this a lot. Like, you know, how many times am I going to hear sorry for the same thing until I get exasperated? Like, I don't know, but God doesn't do that. And we're lucky. We're lucky that God isn't human. And he really, accepts our moment as an authentic connection. Okay, guys, we finished section one. This is big. This was, this was a doozy. Like really, we finished section one. Oh no, actually we finished section two. We finished section two. Okay, it wasn't so bad. We finished section two. Um, we finished section two, we're on now section three. Still in chapter one, section three. And we're, go, we're gonna go now to discuss something that was brought up last class, which was the idea of fasting, okay? We've heard about this fasting thing connected to tshuva. Now we're just starting it. We're not, we're not gonna get all the answers today, okay? Don't hold me to all the answers today. We're just gonna start the, this concept and, and we're gonna, the time we'll spend quite a while on it. So we're gonna, we're gonna at the end of it, know, know have a good idea of what actually is up with that, but, we're now going to start addressing this, this concept of fasting connected to tshuva. Where did it come from? Is it reality? Is it something that we should be doing? And all the details involved with that. So 
In the 12th and 13th century, there was a group of people called Hasidei Ashkenaz, um, and they were this, it's an actual very small group of like um, pietists, is that how you pronounce it? Like really pious people that um, came out of Germany and they introduced this very, very demanding set of recommendations of penitence in order to achieve atonement, okay? This included like self-mortification through like fasting, painful acts, and even rituals of public humiliation, okay? They were a small group, but their, their ideas and their writings became very influential across Europe. And many Ashkenazic rabbinic councils adopted their methods or, okay? Now, these harsh methods of penance were, was not an organic development that came from the Talmud, okay? Because as we've spent extensive time learning, the Talmud stresses that tshuva is exclusively a psychological process and does not require self-mortification for penitence, okay? The Talmud's very clear about that. So what this group decided isn't a interpretation of the Talmud, okay? It's a self-service um, that this group of people came up with, okay? Um, and how we just described tshuva as return refutes this popular concept that in addition to stopping to sin, then there's a necessary part of tshuva that includes fasting, okay? Not the case, yes. Did God command that? Is this a halacha? No. No, what we're saying is that fasting connected to tshuva was, is not Torah, okay? It's not coming from God. No, tshuva in itself. Well, we talked about tshuva, whether it's a is mitzvah it, or not, right? We said it's stages, right? There's phase one and phase two. Right? Is it coming from God is my question. Yes, yes. It's from God. from God. Tshuva is a process from God that is the process of return comes from God. So it's a law. Okay. Yes, yes. Okay? okay. The, the fasting part of tshuva the idea that we can't achieve penitence or atonement without fasting is not the case. And the Altarba feels extremely strongly about this. Okay? And the Tanya goes on to say clearly the essence of tshuva includes only the three things that we just talked about. What are the three things? A, the decision to stop sinning. B, the acceptance of Hashem's authority. And three, the acceptance of all 613 commandments. Right? In that moment. By the way, Robin, another thing that I just, my epiphany is that even if we accept the, 
what we're saying is we accept the 613 commandments. Does it mean we're committing to do them, right? It just means we accept that God has 613 commandments. This piece just clarified that, right? Um, Excellent. Yeah. Excellent and, point. And we can, and that's easy enough to do. Like, yeah, we we buy into the 613 commandments, whether we actually do them or not is a different, is a different thing, okay? So, and then we can even say, we can even say that the full expression of tshuva through atonement requires confession, remorse over the past, and asking God forgiveness. That is the um, icing on the cake, and that is not teshuva, that is the process of atonement. We know that we spent a lot of time talking about the difference between return and atonement, right? Tshuva is on us, atonement's on God, right? But there is a process of atonement, and that includes confession, remorse, and asking forgiveness. That's the atonement process, none of which includes fasting or, 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 um, what was the other word that they used? Um, inflicting or something. Yeah. Uh, painful public rituals of humiliation or self-mortification or any of those things. There's nowhere that includes that not not chuva and not atonement. And that okay. group came up with that. The group came up with that. Okay. And we're, it sounds we're very, sounds very guyish to me. It sounds guyish. Yes. You know, it, it, it does sound, it, yeah. it is, it is because, and this is another thing I was just talking to my husband at the dinner table, because if we get to where we, where I prepared, then there's going to be some revolutionary concepts that might be hard to digest, um, but we might not get there today. But the other thing that I was saying at the dinner table, I was like, learning a Garasachuva sounds very, very scary. But to me, what's happening as I learn this process is the opposite, right? It's like understanding that this is about return. This is about connection with God. It's about acceptance. It's about all these positive things that I would still think teshuva is this like negative process of, remor of remorse and confession and whatever. Like that's how I viewed teshuva before this, right? So the fact that we're learning this, even it, what, what Barbara was saying, the self-flagellation or whatever you call it, the self-inflicting you know, of pain sounds very, very not in tune with what we're saying. And they right, give them, themselves slashes and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. This doesn't feel right. This, not is us. Not what, this is not what the Torah means by teshuva. But obviously it did come from somewhere and, and we're going to talk about that. But um, the so one of the places that this might come from is the fact that remember we learned that some sins in order to to achieve atonement requires suffering. Remember that? Remember we said that? Remember there's three types of sins. One, you get um, atoned for right away because there's nothing else to do. Two, right? If it was a, you know, if it was a, if you were, if you did a transgression, you need to wait till Yom Kippur, right? And then and then there are even sins that require some suffering in order to achieve proper atonement. So one of the ways, well, give me one second. One of the ways 
that maybe the reason why this came about is Hashem saying, in order to achieve full atonement, you need some suffering. So this group decided, well, okay, let's suffer. But they didn't realize, or I'm not saying they didn't realize, but what the Tanya wants us to understand, I, I can't speak for what that group did. They were pious people, right? But what the Tanya wants us to realize is that the suffering has to come from God. And there's a bunch of quotes to prove that. But the suffering, it says, I'm going I'm to find the quote. It says, God will bring suffering upon him, right? Not that he's going to bring suffering onto himself. Because mm. you also don't know what type of suffering. You don't know what God has in store. So all of a sudden, you can't decide what suffering God is having in mind for you. You can't decide that on your own. And Because that would um, make you a masochist. Exactly. And that's what the, that's kind of what happened that's against God. That's yeah. Yeah. It was very, it was a bitter service of God. It was serving God out of fear. And we're going to address again, how important it is to serve God out, out of love, how important it is to repent out of love, even repentance out of fear. It shouldn't be that way. Yes, Robin. I just want to clarify one thing that you said, I think I understand what you said and what you meant, but it's going to be Sure, okay, I'm on yeah, the right yeah, yeah. I said when you when you transgress uh, a negative command, um, when you violate a negative command, you have to wait until Yom Kippur. And I believe what you were meaning is we don't wait to do tshuva until Yom Kippur. We do tshuva right away. Yeah, yeah. But the atonement is not until Yom Kippur. You don't get yes. atoned for. But yes. we don't wait. No, no, no. You have to. You have to repent. Remember, we said. Right. Yom Kippur is a culmination of your, your work, right? right? Just the so thank you for clarifying. It's not that you repent on Yom Kippur. It's that you get your atonement on Yom Kippur for the repentance that you did throughout the year. Um, okay. So, so he, maybe we could interpret this idea of suffering by this fasting thing, right? Um, and maybe suffering can be achieved through fasting. But the Tanya explains that this is not the case because um, it says clearly that Hashem will bring the suffering upon him, not that he must bring suffering on himself through fasting. And the fact that Hashem will bring suffering and not man is also, Rambam talks about, anyone who talks about Teshuvah clarifies this idea. Um, then why the do Rambam we fast? makes clear. One second, the Rama makes, we, sorry. One second, let me just finish and then I'll, I'll get to you. The Rama makes clear that the suffering, which completes the atonement, is not self-imposed. It has to come from Hashem. So you so can self-impose all the suffering you want, but maybe that's not the suffering Hashem had in mind for you. Then you get a double doozy. You, you go your own, own suffering and you get God's suffering. Who so the fasting, fasting that we do on Yom Kippur, that comes from God then? That yes. comes from Hashem, but yes. Hashem doesn't want us to. No, 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 no. We're not talking about Yom Kippur fasting. Yom Kippur fasting is one day of the year where God said you're fasting and this is part of the Yom Kippur process. What we're talking about here is people who decided we're going to get into it later. We're going to talk about the details of this later. But there are people who said this sin requires 80, 80 days of fasting and this sin requires 50 days of fasting and this sin requires that many days of fasting. That is not what we do. People who did it back then 
there is validity to it, and we'll talk about why. But the altar was saying that is not part of tshuva, that is not part of atonement, that's not how you have to get atonement. There is a concept that fasting can maybe help you achieve this to achieve the state of remorse or whatever. And we're going to talk about that. But in general, fasting is not a step of a, it's not an official step to the atonement process. Okay. Um, now, not only um, is, is that point important about fasting that Hashem has to bring upon the suffering, but a person, if you, if especially nowadays, if we equated tshuva with fasting, um, fasting is very difficult, especially in this generation. And um, one might hesitate to repent and to return to Hashem if he thought that it included fasting, right? He might just write the whole thing off. And, and, and that's important. Like fasting is not, you know, when you mix the letter of the law with like, um, hashkafa, I'm looking for the word hashkafa, which is like the spirit of the law, the letter of the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. It's very important to know what the letter of the law is because sometimes the spirit of the law for different me people mean different things. And, it, and if someone imposes their spirit of the law on somebody else, it might cause that person not to be able to do the whole thing and just say, forget it. Right? So, I mean, an example of this is like family purity, right? There's the letter of the law. And then there's a lot of things that surround the idea of family purity. When you're teaching the mitzvah of family purity, it's very important to emphasize the letter of the law because there's a lot of details. And if someone says, I can't do all those details, forget it, I'm not going to do it at all. Chava, right? Shame. It's a shame because really he could be doing the letter of the law, right? The bare minimum, the minimum. So it's important not to equate tshuva with fasting because that might turn people off of the tshuva process. And we don't want to do that. Okay, and um, and it's important to know that on the flip side, you might think that if you fast, you automatically accomplish the tshuva process, and that it's so far from the truth. Because what do we know about tshuva? It has to be future oriented. It has to be an acceptance of God. Fasting does not accomplish that. So you cannot, like, if we equate this tshuva with fasting, we might error and think that if we fast, tshuva is accomplished. You know what, by the way, on the flip side, people might think, some people might think, oh, I don't have a hard time fasting. So I'll fast instead of actually doing tshuva. That's not going to get you anywhere, right? So it's very important to separate fasting from the essence of tshuva. Now, I'm not going to say that fasting has no value because we'll get into that a little bit more and talk about why it happened to begin with. But as a tshuva process, fasting is not a component of tshuva. And furthermore, is not a component of achieving atonement besides for Yom Kippur. Okay, Yom Kippur is a separate idea. But fasting on your own for a certain amount of days, for a, for a certain transgression, that is not the process of atonement. Yeah? 
And I wanna, um, okay, before we move on, any questions? Okay. Um, I'm just trying to think if we should enter this, this next concept. Okay, I think we're gonna start and we'll get as far as we can. We're not gonna have class next week because it's Purim. So we're just gonna have to like, we'll, we'll do a good review, I guess, in two weeks. So we, cause we're gonna, we're gonna end up stopping in the middle of a concept. So just, that's okay. We're okay with that, right? Yeah, we're gonna like go a few more minutes cause we still have some time. And I wanna, you know, we can, we can still accomplish more but we are gonna end up stopping in middle. So, but that's okay. We'll just review and um, pick up where we left off. Now, um, this is where, dun, 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 this is the concept that um, I'm in the process of internalizing and making sense of it. Maybe it's gonna land for you and you're gonna be like, no big deal. Um, for me, I was like, this is, I feel like I have to be brave to teach this. Okay. Cause like, cause like it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And it's a very big reframe. Um, but let's start and see where we go. Now we, we talked about this before, but we're going to go even one step further. We talked about the fact that when Hashem gives us suffering, right. For whatever reason, but let, we're con right now, for the sake of this conversation, we're talking about suffering in connection to atonement, right? Um, not all suffering is connected to atonement, but in this conversation, that's what we're referring to. Suffering connected to atonement is a very, very big kindness from God, right? Because to achieve complete atonement, the soul needs a spiritual cleansing. We're talking about for the whatever whatever transgressions require that. Not all transgressions require suffering, but if we did a sin that you know requires suffering, in order to achieve the a complete cleansing of the soul um, that happens through suffering, and that's a big kindness from God because it's a lot easier for the soul to go through its cleansing here than in the next world. We talked about that, right? And we, we, we spend some time there. We're now we're going to take it a, a one step further. Now, this process occurs through a concept called divine mirroring. We talked about divine mirroring, mirroring at the end of the first book of Tanya. Okay. And I'm going to remind you in what we referred it to. Um, what is a divine mirroring in this, in this concept, in this particular um, idea is that when a person returns to God out of love, God sends love back. Okay. What does, what does love back from God look like? Suffering. Okay. Okay, bear with me, bear with me, right? When you, so when we repent out of love, remember it's very important that we repent out of love, 
right? We're not repenting out of fear. And we're actually going to talk about that, um, right? Because repentance inspired by love as opposed to fear stems from a person's desire to draw close to God, right? Um, which is an awakening from our own heart, right? At a, when we repent out of fear, what's the fear? Fear we're going to be punished, right? That is not the level of tshuva that we strive for. We want to repent out of love because we want it's being um, um, facilitate, facilitated by this desire to connect to Hashem. So when we repent out of love, God returns the love. So when you authentically repent, because you love God so much, mirror, God mirrors you and he reciprocates with love. What does love look like? It looks like this extreme kindness that God is giving you that you suffer in this world and not in the world to come. Oh, <laughs> okay. You understand why this is going to be a trip, right? Now, um, so interestingly, this means that even the suffering that God sends a person for the sake of complete atonement is under the, it's under your control, right? Because the mirror works. When you send God, he returns it. So if you are repenting authentically for a specific transgression that needs suffering, God gives it to you because the suffering is the love. Okay. Now, um, The, this all comes from this idea of kamayim alpanim hapanim, right? A face reflects a face. If you remember the the parable, the the um, the example, I forget, I'm forgetting the word that I always use. The yeah, but but no, but in English, the whatever. The parable that we use was if you if you look into a clear body of water, your face reflects that metaphor. Thank you. <laughs> um, the, your face reflects you. You see your face, right? And we use that metaphor to describe the heart of a man to a man. I'm going to quote to you um, where this come from is where this come from. A quote quote from the Mitzvah David, which says, "Just as water reflects back." a face similar to the one gazing into it. This is a quote. A happy face reflects a happy one. A sad face reflects a sad one. The same is true with a person's heart. If a person's heart is good to his friend, his friend's heart will be good to him too. If it's nasty, he'll be nasty, right? It's about this mirroring. And, and this applies to God as well. In the first book of Tanya, we used it in the in a principle to generate love for God, right? If you contemplate how God has shown love for you, you will feel love for him. Remember when we talked about that? It's a meditation that we practice, right? If you think about how much Hashem loves you and how much he does for you, you will love him back. Here, we're applying the same dynamic, but in the other direction. If you evoke to evoke love from God. So when a person returns to God out of love, God will return that love as a, as a 
face reflects a face in the water, right? And what does that love look like? Suffering. The necessary suffering. It's very hard to even say because I this the question that I asked my husband was, we are human. I'm going to ask the question. I'm going to ask the question why I'm having a hard time with this. And we're, but being that we're taking this slowly, it's, we're going to let it sink in and we're going to think about it, right? We don't have to feel a certain way or be a certain way or accept it right now. We just have to remember we're at, we're, we're um, pushing our boundaries of uncomfortability, right? Where we're thinking about concepts that push the edge. My question to my husband was, we are human. So if we know that our authentic shuva will bring about suffering, it's going to be very hard to do shuva authentically because we don't want to suffer, right? Like we intrinsically move away from pain. Yeah. Okay. Key question. Cause I think I learned this in another class elsewhere. Okay. Does all shuva result in suffering? No, 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 no. Remember, we're saying right. particular for right. particular sins, but unfortunately, we all have done sins that require suffering. Just FYI. But do we? All right. But if most, okay, is it safe to say also that most chuva does not involve suffering? I can tell you, Rabbi Davinsky definitely teaches that it yeah. is the rare that requires suffering. Yes, yes, it's true. Most shuva does not require suffering, especially if like, um, if you um, failed to do, right? If you fail to light Shabbos candles or fail to whatever, that does not require suffering, right? right? It's a transgression and it's particular transgressions, but like Shabbos would be included in suffering. Right. Like if you broke Shabbos, that would be one of those mitzvahs that it needed some suffering. Right. And so- are we going to talk more in the future about like elements of this? Yes. We're, this is just the beginning. Okay. This is like the overview. And this is like, we're getting into this. I, cause why, why are we talking about it? Cause we're talking about it in connection to fasting. Right. And we're saying that, no, the suffering can't be your, of your own making. You can't decide for this transgression, I'm going to fast for this amount of days because my, my chuva needs suffering and I'm going to decide what the suffering is like. What we're saying is no, you do teshuva. If you do teshuva authentically out of love, then God will send the suffering out of love because it's a kindness that your soul is going to be cleansed in this world instead of the world to come. That's the trajectory of what we're talking about. So really, when you, if I understood where you were going uh, about a minute ago, it makes it harder to do tshuva if you know there might be suffering as a consequence of it. But yeah, the other but way to view tshuva. it, what? Not right, but you're right. Not all tshuva, just tshuva for a particular sin. But even if you somehow know that the one that you're thinking of doing tshuva for yeah, yeah. is going to involve suffering. Yeah. The choice is do the tshuva now and at least be closer to Hashem again. Reconnect with Hashem by doing the tshuva. And then it's kind of like, I don't know the word for it. Um, it just a, it's a means to an end. It gives you the power to endure. I mean, it's only going to give us the suffering we can handle, you know, and it gives you the power to say, okay, I'm in this, at least I'm in this with Hashem. As opposed sure. to saying, oh, I don't want to do the tshuva because 
this might involve suffering. So I right. throw off the pulva, I put up the suffering, and I mean, who knows? I might even just do this thing again wrong. So let's just save them all up. I'll do tuba some other day. Yeah. Right. And if, so the thing is, when we are able, but give me one second, when we are able to adapt this perspective of suffering, by the way, it actually changes how we view suffering and it changes how we actually probably experience it. Because if we can experience the pain and the suffering as a gift from God, it will feel less painful if you're able to internalize that this is what's happening. But it's not an easy thing to internalize because facts yeah. on the ground, we don't want to have pain. We don't want to suffer, right? right. Sucks. Uh, intellectually, it makes a whole lot of sense, right? Intellectually, we can be like, yes, this makes a lot of sense. You know, this is a kindness from God. And if I can view it this way, then it feels that suffering. But practically, when I look at my day-to-day -day life, I'm like, I reject the suffering. I don't want it. The idea is, is to start the reframe, right? And the more we can start the reframe of suffering in the context of this, what we're talking about, right? Then your, your suffering might not feel like suffering. It might, you might be able to embrace it as the gift of love that it is. But that is not a quick process. Right, that is not an automatic journey. That is a constant practice. That's a constant. You want to use it as a meditation. You could use it as a meditation, but that is something that's going to take maybe a lifetime or a very long time to really internalize that idea that in the suffering you can recognize that this is a gift from God. It's e it's easy to do it hindsight, right? We always look back at that challenge and be like, "Wow, did I grow from that challenge?" Right. But in the moment of our pain, it's a little bit harder to say, this is a gift from God, right? This is a love, right? This is God's love to me. I find that in the moment, that's a hard, hard thing to do. Not impossible, but, and, and maybe not always, but to start this reframe of it's a reciprocation, right? I showed love to God and he's showing love back to me. Remember in the concept of tshuva, I'm not talking about suffering in general. I'm not talking about, this is what suffering always, right? Remember, stay in our context here because I don't want to be misrepresented or, or, or misrepresent the concept of suffering in general. But in this idea, um, and we don't know what, what our suffering is. Like when we're in pain and we're suffering, we don't really know what's in connection to. Like we can't necessarily say, oh, that's because of that sin I did yesterday, you know? Um, we don't really know. So it's good to adapt this idea of suffering in general because God is always good, right? It's a, it's a good concept to push our boundaries against. But I want to acknowledge that this is not easy. It's not automatic. And at some points in our life, we might not be in that place to say, sure, God, I feel the love, right? Sometimes we don't feel that way. Um, but that's where we're going to end. In conclusion for today's class, um, um, bringing us back full circle to what we spoke about is fasting is not a component of tshuva, nor is it a requirement for atonement, right? The suffering needed for atonement has to be imposed by God. Okay, it cannot be self-imposed. It's a very important concept in general, because sometimes we actually do that to ourselves, like um, not in connection to, to Chuba, but it, it, this applies in everything. Like if we have low self-worth, right? 
and we decide that we don't deserve something or we um, put ourselves in positions to, to, to not succeed or to be in pain because we have this warped concept of what we deserve, Hashem is saying like, you don't get to decide that. Like you like, do not put yourself in a position of suffering. Do not deprive, do not, do not, you know, self-harm. Do not like, you know, I don't know if anyone knows somebody who's suffering from an eating disorder. It usually comes from a self-worth, like I don't deserve food, right? That is so against Torah concept, right? And so that is not something that is ever okay in under the, um, the, the, the umbrella of Yiddishkeit, like we don't self-harm, okay? So that's how we'll end class today. Did you have a question, Harry? I did, I'm trying to- Remember? Okay, so maybe we'll do the meditation. No, I know, I remember you know? really quickly. Okay. Um, if you don't do teshuva, doesn't God in inflict pain on you anyway? Not necessarily, not necessarily, because if we, if we're going according to this concept, you're the suffering needed for atonement only comes if you show authentic love towards God, because if, if you, you don't, don't show authentic love towards God, then your sin, then your soul is going to suffer in the world to come, which is going to be a lot okay. harder. Okay. It's a reward for you, right? Okay. The suffering in this world is a reward for your authentic tshuva. If you don't do authentic tshuva, then you get the harder situation of, of in the next world. Okay, does that answer your question? Yes. Okay. Sorry, you went over time a little, but I really tried. Um, let's do a quick, now, after class, um, I, you don't have to share with me if you want to, you can, but I would like to, you to observe what your nervous system is like now compared to what it was in the beginning of class. Maybe it's worse because I talked about, I don't know. Um, but just observe like how your body is, how your mind is, you know, just for, it's very, very such a good practice to be self-aware, right. And to see how we are without any, without a means to an end, just to see like where we're at. The more we recognize where our body's at, the more in tune we are and the more we can affect change when we want to. So take a deep breath. Close your eyes. We're gonna do three rounds of deep inhale and exhale, and then we'll um, do a quick review. So when you're ready, inhale. In your inhale, you want to expand your chest, open yourself up. And in your exhale, let everything go, feel grounded, calm. Inhale. One more, inhale. So now I want you to just let go of your breath, let it go back to its regular rhythm. Um, and let's review. Teshuva, as interpreted in Hasidus, 
does not mean repentance, which is only one aspect of it. But as the word indicates, a return of the soul to its source and root. Okay. Just think about, we're not focused on all the past and all the remorse and all the regret. It's a necessary part of atonement. The tshuva is the return, the acceptance of God, the commitment to not do it again. Suffering is imposed from above as a kindness from God to achieve complete atonement and spiritual cleansing for your soul. This occurs through a process of divine mirroring. When you return to God out of love, God sends back love in, in a form of penitential suffering. So you're showing an authentic love and devotion and return to God. God returns that love to you in the form of suffering so you don't have to suffer in the world to come. Okay. Let that sit in your body for a minute. What does that bring up for you? Do you want to reject this idea? Do you accept it? Do you want to explore it? Does it make you curious? No wrong or right. I shared with you how it made me feel. And it's, we're, you know, we're teasing our comfort zone, right? We're opening ourselves up for ideas that might make us feel uncomfortable. And that's, a, that's an amazing practice. Uh, I think okay, it's- in... Let's finish the meditation first. One more deep breath. Just start to bring back your sensation, focus on your body and its space, some smell, sounds around you. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. Okay, let me stop the recording because I already went way over time and then I'm going to take your question, okay? See you next week or in two weeks. Thank <laughs> you.